This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is Danielle Chason, your host for the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. This is where we showcase real people doing real estate. And today we've got Kelly Wagner back again. She was on uh, she was on a, a little while ago and dropping some truth bombs. And guess what she's bringing today? More truth bombs, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back. Woo, woo. Thank you for having me back, Danielle. It's awesome to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, we just had such a good time on our last call, our last episode with you. Uh, I really wanted to bring you back because, listen, um, telling it how it is is really what we need to, you know, I think that's the best that's the best benefit to people where they really get to see what real estate is all about and kind of opening the curtains so that people can really see the business for what it is. It's not as sexy as what people think. Um, it is hard work and there's a lot and people ask me, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a problem solver. You know, I got people that come to me all day long with problems and I just give them solutions. So I'm sure you can relate to that. Totally. Yeah. But I mean, let's, let's clarify. It is sexy sometimes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, let me think when is it sexy? Okay. All right. When I'm collecting a rent check, that's pretty sexy. Actually. Yeah. I will say that. I will say that. Okay. Um, but you know what, but, but again, you know, coming back to the problem solving, you shared with me, um, a fourplex, um, that you did, it was meant to be a burr strategy. Oh, and that, by the way, my tech guy, Evan is actually saying, Hey, 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 sex, hundred percent burrs are sexy. hundred percent burrs are sexy. Uh, Evan, burrs yes. are sexy. You're absolutely right, Evan. Um, but not this one, right, Kelly? <laughs> not this one. Not this one. Yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, real estate has been so good to me overall. And uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't change anything for the world because you do. One saying that I heard from a mentor one time was, if you're not earning, you're learning. And mm. I sure did on this one. Um, but that's the thing, you know, people, I, I often hear sort of naysayers or doubters about real estate. Oh, I don't know. I hear it's risky. Oh, I don't know. It's, you know, so many headaches. Um, and yeah, of course, like any job, there are some risks and headaches. But what I love about real estate is for the most part, you can usually, you know, mitigate your risks or you kind of build them in on the front end. So you're sort of prepared for them. Um, but sometimes will things will happen that you're not prepared for, that you couldn't be prepared for, um, that you don't foresee, can't project. And so like anything in life, what are you going to do, right? Figure out how to how to roll with it. And uh, some deals, you know, don't go as planned. Overall, though, um, you know, this was uh, three or four years ago now that this one happened and still in the game. So that tells you something. <laughs> And that's what I wanted to highlight because I've also taken a loss on a property uh, on one and you, and you did as well. And we're both still in the game and you know, my loss was significant. I know yours was as well, but you know, we stay in the game because we know we might lose big dollars, but we also make big dollars on subsequent deals. And there's really only one way to fail is by quitting. Right. And so if you quit when you are down, 
then you're going to cement a failure. If you keep grinding through it and apply all of what you've learned, which is what you're saying, uh, everything that you've learned on that fail, on that, on that, mm, I don't want to say failure. I don't like that word, but all, <laughs> you know, on that project that didn't go as planned, um, you won't make those same mistakes again, or you're going to learn how to mitigate against them. So uh, I just wanted to showcase today how, yes, you can lose money in real estate. You can have mm, a failure. I really don't like that word. Um, but you can have a project not be as successful as you had thought and and still stay in the game and still be successful. So I just wanted to uh, to, to start with you sharing with us kind of right from the beginning, start from the beginning when you saw the fourplex and ran the numbers, it looked good. And then you picked it up. So if you want to share with us how that went. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I had been investing for, um, I don't know, a couple of years at this point two 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 and a half years, um, primarily in one geographical area, some in another in a second um, region, but most of my business I was doing with a realtor in particular. And she knew I was looking for multifamily. So this was this was actually my sixth deal that I had done um, in those first well, since I got started. And it was a off market deal. So she had a seller um, that owned a fourplex that wanted to sell it, but didn't want people, you know, was hoping to sell it off market. So we didn't have to arrange showings with tenants and so on. Um, for good reason. The place was in rough shape. Uh, the tenants were pretty rough um, rough on the place. Um, and so anyway, she phoned me, said, Hey, I've got this fourplex. Are you interested? And so went to have a look at it, ran the numbers, you know, the, the comps, um, it was a classic Burr strategy. So buy a property that's undervalued. The property had really been neglected. Um, both like with the physical structure and condition of it. And, you know, I'll say, um, mismanaged, in that, you know, t tenants had been permitted to get behind on rent for months and months without issuing, you know, the proper notices and things like that. So there was just sort of this um, not very, not very profitable property there waiting to have someone shine it up and polish it up. And, and that's what I love to do. That's primarily what I had done up until that point, flips and, and burrs. Um, so I was really excited about this one. Um, all of the the issues in it um, appeared to be cosmetic um, and did an inspection on the property as one prudent investor would normally do um, when you can. And everything seemed, you know, fine, good to go. Roof was, you know, relatively new, um, but it was just a lot of cosmetic updates. Uh, clean, everything was dated. The kitchens, bathrooms were all really dated. Flooring kind of gross, everything like really quite filthy. Um, kind of a, you know, some hoarder issues in certain areas, but you know, nothing that a nice clean coat of paint and some new, you know, hardware and stuff like that can't fix. So the purchase price of it, and I've rounded these numbers, obviously, just for simplicity um, here and there. But uh, so the purchase price was $500,000. This was in uh, the fall of 2017. So bought this property, like signed the deal in December of 2017 for $500,000. And the property was due to close in April. So four months later, 
Uh, and that was on purpose because the tenants were given the notices um, of eviction because the renos were going to be substantial. Like we basically had to gut the kitchens, the bathrooms, everything. So they were given proper notice um, by the previous landlord. Uh, this place was going to be overhauled. They had lots of time to um, make other arrangements and so on. And it really wasn't, you know, fit, barely fit to live in, if you ask me. <laughs> so so we were getting ready for that. Um, I was able to get the financing on that. So $100,000 down payment, got a mortgage for four hundred grand on it. And then my reno budget was about $100,000, primarily just cosmetic uh, plans, just to put in some new um, basic you know, it wasn't going to be anything like super high end, just clean, safe, affordable. Uh, so we were going to just clean it up and, you know, relist it at current market rents. So I had started borrowing some of that private money, um, you know, in those four months leading up to April, three, four months, April closing. Um, and the problem started, uh, you know, right on closing day, uh, which is when the tenants were supposed to be out um, and two of the four were not. So that was, uh, my first, um, small challenge, but you know, that, that really was relatively easy to deal with. You know, I just, all the paperwork had been done properly. So I just very matter of factly and as kind as I could said, you know, this was like a, a Thursday or Friday we closed and the crews were due to start on Monday. I had had them in already, you know, to do quotes and estimates and they were ready to come in and start demo on Monday. And I said, guys, like, I, I don't know what to say to you, you know, crews are showing up Monday morning and they're going to start to demo whether you're here or not. Like, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to go. Can I help you book a moving truck? Can I, you know, what, is there anything I can do? Um, so it was a stressful few days, but uh, in the end, so by the end of the weekend, one of them was gone Monday morning, crews showed up and the last one was still exiting you know all their stuff on the front lawn waiting for people to come um but that was the least of my problems as this project went on and so demo started to happen uh and so kitchen cabinets coming out and uh bathrooms you know toilets and bathtubs getting removed things like that and um it was a it was a thursday after you know at the end of my day, I had gone in to stop in on the property and just check in, see how things were going. And the one uh, lead hand on the on the crew was out on the front porch and he kind of looked a little bit, you know, rough. And he's like, Kelly, I don't know what to tell you. Guys are all feeling pretty bad. Guys are all feeling pretty sick. And I'm like, what? You know? Um, they had been doing demo all week and, you know, when they're ripping out these cabinets and things like that, obviously, you know, stuff's coming off the walls, drywall and behind some of the walls, we found some mice droppings and, you know, things like that, dust. And in fairness, you know, their boss hadn't, uh, you know, mandated that they were wearing masks all the time. In fact, when I showed up that day, you know, it was my first comment, you know, I went in because some of the guys were still working and I'm like, well, you know, you got to have masks on guys like this is nasty work you know it's nasty um so anyway that was that uh thursday end of day they went home you know yeah we should be wearing masks next morning though the boss calls me and says so yeah all my guys from your site uh are off sick 
they're all coughing, they can't, they're having trouble breathing, they're feeling, you know. And it came out then that one of the units on the upper floor when they were cleaning stuff out, um, and some, this one tenant had left a bunch of personal belongings behind, just garbage and a bunch of stuff behind. Um, and in those piles, uh, the crews found a bunch of used syringes, needles. And one of the crew knew the brother of that tenant from high school from way back and word had it that that tenant was into, you know, drugs of different kinds. And so I guess they had done some Googling on their own. And, <laughs> and the symptoms that these guys were having were symptomatic of potential meth poisoning. You know, we've all seen uh, Breaking Bad and how you're not supposed to make that stuff and, you know, you have certain conditions. And so, yeah, so that was a bit of a, a freak out. Uh, at the time, I was on the phone with like public health, um, with uh, it, my lawyer for landlord tenant stuff and, and not landlord tenant stuff, but like my crews. Oh, my gosh. What if I've gotten all these guys sick? And uh, the, the contractor, the company owner, his dad worked for him part time as well. So guy older than me you know, not that it matters. Like I was just as upset about the, the, all the young guys getting sick too, but I got all these guys that are sick from, from my job site. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely a panic attack I sort of ended up having. And so that's when the extra costs started to, uh, come into play on this one. So because of that potential, um, you know, the contractor and I as well, I agreed, I 100% didn't want the guys trying to go back on site without figuring out what the problem was. Because if it was, in fact, you know, a meth issue, you know, that was going to need some substantial remediation to be done. So I had to have um, testing done by a, uh, I forget the name, what it's called, but you know, but environmental or some kind of testing agency come in. And it was about eight grand. Uh, to do the testing, they had to do some like air quality testing and swabbing of bunch of things, surfaces and and all these other kinds of things. So the testing itself was quite expensive. Um, and that turned out to be a good news, bad news scenario. The good news was that there was not meth uh, being manufactured in the building as far as they could tell, as far as the evidence showed. But what they did find um was a ton of black mold uh, in the in the in the roof primarily, but also in the walls. So it was primarily driven from probably what we figured because the roof was in good shape when the inspection was done. We could see, you know, from evidence in the pictures that the roof was okay, but probably when it was replaced, it probably had not been okay previously, and leaking had happened, and there was had damage been done inside, you know the insulation and, and the, the walls from that. And they just, you know, kind of slapped a new roof on top of it and, and called it a day. So the next thing I was dealing then was the black mold remediation and to be done properly, to be handled and, and fixed properly. Um, I basically had to rip out. So it was a, it was a two and a half story building. So there was on the main floor, there was two units on the second floor, there was another uh, full unit and an entry up to a 
like a third floor attic unit that was finished. So the, the third and the second floor basically had to be gutted back to the studs, all the drywall and was lath and plaster, actually all that had to be taken off insulation taken out. Um, the, the main floor was fine. There was no damage there, but between all that extra demo and the extra cleaning and remediation that had to get done for the mold, that was another uh, substantial chunk of money <laughs> that I had not budgeted for. Um, so, you know, if you can imagine re-drywalling, you know, two full floors of a building, re-insulating, um, you know, there's some extra, all the extra demo costs and dump fees for hauling all that stuff away. Um, and not to mention the delay that that put in my timeline, you know, originally it was supposed to be a three to four month renovation, still, still substantial enough, but I was kind of, you know, banking on three, you know, maximum four. Um, and we were about three months in by the time the demo was able to happen, like to get all of the drywall down and insulation out and so on. So in terms of, you know, getting this property reestablished, getting it finished and getting new tenants in at market rents, that was also a delay that happened. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that was the next thing. <laughs> um, so, go ahead. So even though I'm sure you put in a contingency into your budget, you now have testing for the guys, testing for meth, find mold. Now you have to remediate that mold. Do And I've done this, so I know it's not a small job. Number one, to pay a remediation company for the mold remediation. Number two, even just opening up all of that and rebuilding everything that you had to open up. I mean, that is a massive undertaking. I am sure that blew your contingency budget, even just the mold right there. Um, that is massive. It did. And then, and then in the end, so, you know, and, and, and that's the thing with real estate. Yes. I had a contingency budget built in there. Um, but you know, you're always, there's always going to be things, even, even in a project that goes quote unquote smoothly, there's always little glitchy things or things you didn't quite expect or things you have to sort of figure out as you go. And so as this was happening and I was realizing, you know, okay, now we've got this many more months tacked onto my timeline. That means, you know, X number of dollars more in private money interest that I'm paying from the folks I've borrowed this money from. Um, you know, you, you sort of do all these decisions. And so at that point, I thought, well, at the end of this, in order to be able to make up what's been lost here, I'm going to, you know, I kind of want to step up the finishings a little bit in this so that I can command even higher rent for it because sort of the incremental cost of kind of um, putting some enhanced finishings in compared to just the clean, safe, affordable stuff I was going to do before, like I needed to get higher rents out of this place. Plus, I also um, chose to finish that the basement had previously been unfinished. Um, and so the utility room down there was all, you know, it was all just, um, blank cement and so on. And so um, I ended up deciding to split the utilities um, so that all of the utilities would be on the tenants. And this again, at this point still was a long-term play for me. It was supposed to be a burst strategy that I was going to keep. And so I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll put individual um, water heaters and um, HVAC uh, system, ductless split systems in each of the units so that the it's upfront cost, but ongoing, the 
tenants will be responsible for all of the utilities, whereas before it was all on one heating system and so on. Um, and so I ended up my $100,000 budget turned into a $320,000 budget. Yeah. All told. Now oh, that said, my God. that that said, that wasn't just done. You know, I, I also, you know, oh. my my realtor helped me look up. Okay, well, what are some comps for like if we do sort of scale up these um, finishings and do this and that and provide laundry and provide storage, like nice finished storage rooms for them? What could we get for rents and what would the property be worth? So that was done consciously with you know the the ultimate intention in mind. Um, so basically all in, if you just look at purchase price and reno costs, I'm into it for about 820 at this point. Um, my new target, which was very aggressive now at this point, was to get it tenanted for September 1st. So yeah, we took possession beginning of April. It was like the third or fourth or something like that. Um, and so, you know, very aggressive given all of those extra changes to get people in for September 1st. Um, and so we managed to do it. Amazing crews. I ended up actually having to, so my one contractor was going to do all the work originally, but he's trying to juggle it with other jobs that he planned that summer. So I ended up, you know, he and I had a, a really great conversation. Great guy. He understands the importance of getting the job done and not just him doing it. And he was swamped. He, he, oh, here's another thing that happened. He plays baseball. And uh, he showed up one day after, you know, we're done all this demo and we're in the race to try and get this done on time. And he looks up at me, he was underneath doing some plumbing stuff. And he looks up and his eye is like out to here purple. He'd been hit with a baseball uh, the night before at his ball game. And dude looked like he should have been in the hospital, you know. And so, you know, my immediate, you know, reaction was, Chad, get home. Like, what are you doing here? Like, that thing looks like it's going to burst blood all over my <laughs> my new floors. <laughs> Go home. Um, but, you know, but also, you know, my business mind is going, oh, my God, now my main contract. I mean, he had a, a whole team of great guys, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, now he's down and he should not be working. Like, you know, he had a headache and all the rest of it. So we had a good conversation and I ended up just having to pull in other contractors. So instead of him, you know, redoing all the drywall and insulation, I pulled in another, just a drywaller guy. And I pulled in um, another crew to do the flooring installation and all these kinds of things just to, to get it done faster. So you're always having to kind of maybe adapt and move on the fly. This, this project just had a lot more adaptations and movements and plan B, C, D than I than you typically would expect. So um well we always and then get, the yeah go ahead. Well we always get projects that's gonna challenge us ultimately, right? And so um <clears throat> what we want to do is we want to try to um fix the problems as quickly as we can. Like you know when when we do a reno, nothing is going to go, well, I shouldn't say nothing, but not everything is going to go to plan. And there are going to be some unexpected challenges. But as we work through those challenges, it's just going to make us stronger for the next project, and the next project, ultimately. And you're going to learn a lot as you're going through that. And that was one of the things that you shared with me was, even though you ultimately lost money on this deal, it has made you a stronger investor and a better partner for your passive partners to partner with because you have that experience and that knowledge. And so um, I want to get to like at the end when, you, when you're wrapping up the deal and then you go to refinance, 
um, what that looked like? Because I know there was one more challenge at the finish line that you had to encounter when it came to uh, refinancing. Yeah. So throughout all this process and decision making, you know, we we're kind of looking at the the possible outcomes and things like that. And when I first bought the property, it was all going to be fine as a burst strategy, you know, at all my extra costs, I'm like no problem. This is going to be a good money maker. I'm going to cash flow. Like there was good cash flow in it to be had after the rentals were all done and the rents were all brought up. Um, however, that year was the year that spring was the spring that um, the Bank of Canada decided to put in the stress test, uh, which we hadn't had previously on mortgages. And so because I had a number of other properties already in my portfolio at the time, now all of a sudden, based on the after repair value, so my, my, my intention was to get it appraised once the renovation is done, and based on the new appraised value, I was going to pull out, you know, get a mortgage at 80% loan to value. And that was going to be enough money to pay out my investors that I had borrowed all the renovation money from. Um, however, I wasn't going to be able to, to pull out that much money. I could have gotten a mortgage on it, but based on the stress test, I was going to be able to pull out something like 55 or 60% loan to value on the, the finished completed product, which just wasn't enough to pay out my investors. And so my choice was, well, I think I was going to be out of pocket something like $800 a month for like the next, you know, number of years on this property in order to, you know, be able to pay off these investors. And and that's the other thing. I think, you know, one thing to point out when stuff goes wrong, like obviously, so these are private lenders that are lending their money on, on this property. Um, and the, the expected time frame was due back September, you know, of that year. They were going to be paid out. That was why I was going to have the refi done. You always have to, this is one of the things I was learning, is you always, always have to keep, you know, your investors apprised of what's happening. And immediately when significant problems came up that I knew was going to delay our, our um, closing time, you know, I, I let them know right away, hey, here's what's happened. Um it's looking like I'm not going to be able to get your money back to you until this date instead of that date. Does that work for you? Right. I'm still, I'm still continue the same amount of interest payments that I was scheduled to make. And because I have such a large network of investors that I'm part of, you know, I, I legitimately was able to offer them the opportunity. Like if you've already committed that money somewhere else, or you need it for something else, no problem. I will make sure that I get, you know, other money in to replace yours. And I'll get your money back to you exactly when I promised with the interest that I promised. And that was totally fine. Like in the end, all the, they were all like, okay, yeah, no problem. No, I don't have anything else. Um, so they left the money with me. Um, and I, and that sort of, you know, speaks to you, you only have your name, you only have your integrity in the business. And I had built that up through lots of other private lending deals in the past. So they knew that I was going to make good on their, their deal, no matter what. But then in the meantime, what happened, like we said, the stress test came in, so I wasn't going to be able to pull out all of the money. And so, you know, it was it was upsetting, I guess, you know, not my not my plan by any shot, but I ended up having to sell the property because that was the only way I can get the full value out of the house and pay my investors back. Because that's one thing that I'm never, ever, ever willing to break is my reputation. I'll break my bank, but I will not break you know, my investors bank, I will not break their trust. Um, and so it was, 
uh, frustrating to have to sell that property after putting so much time, sweat, effort, energy, stress, sleepless nights <laughs> um, into it. But that's ultimately what I did. So I was into it for 820, just the, the hard costs of the property and renos itself. Sold it for 890, you know, less commissions and legals and stuff. So basically I netted out 860 on the sale and my, you know, tax return for that year showed that I made a $40,000 gain. So 860 is what I netted out. I was into it for 820, showed that I made a $40,000 gain on the sale of that property. But once you subtract off my interest costs, on the private money, plus all my holding costs, like the utilities that I had to pay every month, you know, property taxes during the holding period, accounting fees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, those costs amounted to like 57 grand. So the math is that I ended up losing personally $17,000 on that deal. So it's not a huge amount of money, you know, relatively speaking, but the fact that I lost $17,000 over, you know, the, the between renovation and sale didn't end up selling the sale closed January of 2019. So between, you know, it was a year that basically I held that property, bought it December 2017, sold it January 2019. So just over a year, you know, I'd invested 12, 13 months of my time, my energy, um, and I lost $17,000 on it. Doesn't make you feel super great. <laughs> you know, um, it was really, really hard to take. I mean, I was really, um, I was pretty down about it, to be honest. But that's where, you know, that that saying that I mentioned earlier comes in, if you're not earning, you're learning. And I absolutely learned, you know, so much during that process that you can't learn any other way. And not only that, um, you know, I really built some great relationships with those investors. I mean, this is actually the first time that I'm publicly saying I lost money on that deal. I didn't tell them because I made a promise to them. They made the money that I promised them. And I didn't need anybody. Feel, they don't need to feel bad about it. Right. <laughs> but there's that's not what the deal is is about. You know, that's my problem, my loss. And so um, if any of them are watching, you're welcome. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but you no. know what? I think, I think that's the difference between invest, like if, as a passive investor, I think that's the difference between investing, you know, with somebody who has integrity and who's a professional and who is relational as opposed to somebody who's transactional and um, puts themselves and their needs first. You know, uh, you, myself, and others inside of our network. Um, we're very professional and at the end of the day, it's business. And if we do incur a loss, sometimes that happens in business. You eat it, you chalk it up and you move on and you're going to make money on other deals to compensate. So, you know, that's kind of how it is in real estate. And it, it's like the saying goes, you haven't ridden a bike until you've fallen off. Um, and then you've kind of got your, your, you know, your um, center balance figured out at that point. I think real estate is very much the same way and everything that you've learned um, you, you've said a few times, you know, I lost 17,000, I lost 17,000, but I think you paid for your education for 17,000 because, you know, these are everything you learned along that process. Uh, maybe, you know, you'll, there are things that you can take away from that process that again, as we said earlier, is going to make you a much better investor and a better partner moving forward. 
So, you know, for example, like off the top of my head, I would say that, you know, maybe you have a bigger contingency. Maybe you've learned to under promise and over deliver. So instead of like a flipping, burning a four unit building inside of 12 months is very difficult, especially with a refi, because a refi could take up to four months. So, you know, having uh, and a vacant possession is never guaranteed, as you learned. So, you know, just getting the tenants out can take, you know, months and months, depending on the tenants. So, you know, um, you know, myself personally, I always let my investors know that, hey, I'm going to borrow for this term, but we're likely going to cash out beforehand. And I'll give you 60 days heads up when we start the refi process. So then they know to start looking for somewhere else to place or let's put it into a different property with, with, with our, within our organization. So, you know, I think there's lessons to have learned and I'm curious um, from your perspective, what were the top three things that you learned um, that have helped you moving forward or that you wouldn't do again, or you might do differently? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I will say I sort of had, you know, I did have some, Alter, you know, it's always good to be committed to your plan and stick to that plan, but also have plan B and plan C in place. So I always go into every project looking at that. And in this case, I mean, there's that balance. There's always that balance. So you want to build in a contingency fund, but you don't want to build in so much of a contingency fund that you're walking away from a fantastic deal, right? Um, so there, there's kind of that balance. Um of figuring that out. So just sort of going into everything, really making sure that your eyes are wide open to, you know, what as many possibilities as you can think of. I mean, as far as getting the tenants out, um, you know, I knew everything, you know, T's were crossed, I's were dotted as far as the proper process to do that. Um, but making sure, you know, if, if that's something you hadn't thought about before, you know, making sure you've kind of got a plan for, well, what if, what if they're not gone? Even just being prepared to have those difficult conversations, right? I knew that legally and, and everything, I was in the right and everything was covered. You still have to prepare for those conversations. So just being ready um, with multiple strategies out of the gate and sort of walking through in your mind, um, you know, and, and through with other investors, like what are some different scenarios that that I could look at here? So just sort of being prepared. Um you know, the other thing is, is being open to other solutions. So even though my initial strategy was a burst strategy, which normally, like Evan said earlier, is a very sexy strategy, it would have been great if it all worked out. Um, but you know, in the end, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And you have to be open and matter of fact about business. And you know, you can't get caught up in the Oh, woe is me? Oh, this really sucks. Oh, this was so hard. Um, okay, facts are facts. This is what's happening. What are the best possible solutions that we can, that we can go with now? And my best possible solution at the time, and I did try, you know, before I just sold it, I did actually reach out both to my existing investors and just other people in my network um, to see if they wanted to joint venture on it. So that's another an interesting point to make. All the money that I borrowed this, the reason why the loss was mine was because this was just straight private money loans. So I, the agreement was I'm just paying them a fixed interest rate, whereas a lot of joint venture agreements are legitimately that it's a joint venture, and you both have an equity stake in the property. So, you know, if, if the value of the property, you know, because the investor's name is basically on title, 
um, as well, they would have shared in that loss. So I often hear, you know, on the, the lender side, there's much more security when you have the equity in the deal, if you're a joint venture partner, as opposed to lending, you know, possibly unsecured um, renovation funds that are just on a promissory note, because, you know, there's such a short time period, the legal costs and the, you know, rigmarole you have to go through to register it on title, if you're just planning to refi it four months later, doesn't make sense. But, you know, there's, there's things to weigh from a lender's perspective on every deal as well, you know, as whether you want to go in as a joint venture partner and as a private money partner. So I think me being able to speak to the different pros and cons um, of each type of financing with my lenders um, builds trust and just just generates more credibility as well. When I can be very transparent with them, you know, going forward from there, here's what I've learned. Like, here's what could happen on the deal if you're a joint venture partner versus here's what could happen, you know, if you're, you're just lending the money. I mean, there's always a, um, you know, through general securities agreements and things like that, that they can, you know, secure a private money unsecured loan against something if I did default. But being able to really speak to um, all the different possibilities, both from the property side and the investor side, um, helps me be, you know, an even savvier investor. So... Um, you know, yeah, what I would I, say is just don't, yeah, don't get married to your initial plan, right? Obviously be focused on it because, you know, you want to sort of commit to something and follow through with it, but you do have to be willing to be flexible all along the way. And I think that adaptability really is the key to any successful business because there are things that we can control on the inside of our businesses But then there are environmental changes, such as the Ontario Fair Market Housing Plan that comes in and gives you a, you know, two point stress test that you can't control that Um, the mold being existing and even with a home inspection or a property inspection can't see behind the walls. And so there are things that we can't control in our environment that may pop up. A tenant might not move out. And then you've got this whole plan to redo this four unit building. And then one tenant says, nope, I'm not going. I'm going to take you through the whole long process of the LTD and let you sue me later. And, um, you know, and that happens. So being adaptable and having an open mind, I think, is really key to any successful uh, venture. And honestly, Kelly, uh, kudos to you, one, for getting through it, uh, grinding through, and then continuing with real estate, just knowing that you were definitely on the right path. It just happened to be a deal that had gone sideways, which does happen. Um, Also, kudos to you for keeping an open mind and being able to shift and readapt. And that $17,000 loss because of your open-mindedness probably actually was a lot less than what it could have been. It could have been more had you um, panicked and gotten emotional and and made decisions based on fear and other emotions coming in. So uh, keeping your head cool, being adaptable, leaning in to your network and getting suggestions, uh, looking for answers. I love when people get on social media and they ask for help. Hey, I've got this problem. What do you suggest? And then there's other people. Now, you may not get the right answer that you're looking for for you, when I say the right answer, it's the answer that works for you in there, but it does get the creative juices flowing and it may lead to something that you hadn't considered before. So 
Uh, I love, I love that you made it through and you're still here. And I'm glad because our paths, our paths have crossed since, and now I have a good friend in you. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you're still in the business and that you made it through. Um, Kelly, if people wanted to reach out to you and said, Hey man, I'm really scared because I don't want to go through that. How do they reach out to you? Definitely. Uh, best place to reach me is just direct by email at info at whitecapproperties.ca. Um, happy to chat with you, you know, both from both sides, you know, as I, as we've been talking here, I'm thinking, you know, there's one thing from my end of it, which was the working partner deal. Um, and then also from the lender's perspective, you know, if you're looking at lending money on a project and these are some of the things you're worried about, you know, it's so important to really know who you are working with. Um, and I think not to toot my own horn or anything, but while you said that, like, you know, I, I had to end up, you know, doing some of the work myself just to try and save some money. I had my sister and a girlfriend of mine there one day helping me put up the, the blinds, right? All, 25 windows in the building and we were putting up blinds one day and, you know, and, and my friend said to me, you know, I got it. Like, I got to give you credit. I can't believe like how, like calm you're, you're being, you're just so matter of fact through all this. Um, and absolutely, it would be easy when you're looking at those kinds of numbers to really just sort of, <laughs> you know, flip out, lose it, um, you know. And uh, so from a lender's perspective, you want to make sure that you're, you know, everyone's got to cut their teeth on some job. But if you can work with someone who is who has some experience and who has some um, know how and, and resources to draw from for when things go sideways. I mean, I've done lots of deals since this one and all of those have been quite profitable, right? Very happy to, to report that. Um, but sometimes there's gonna be a, a bad apple in the bunch and um, you wanna make sure that you're prepared to deal with that or that you have resources and, and um, colleagues or mentors to draw from when that happens. So happy to talk with anyone, uh, you know, from either end of it, from the, the working partner side or from the lending side, um, and just kind of walk through some of those fears and what you can do to mitigate those risks. So info yeah. at whitecapproperties.ca. So that's I-N-F-O at W-H-I-T-E-C-A-P-P-R-O-P-E-R-T-I-E-S dot C-A. And if I said it too fast, it is in the show notes below. Um, and we'll definitely have it all in the notes below. If you want to uh, find out a little bit more about Kelly's bio, her history, we do have an About Kelly Wagner page on our podcast. Uh, that link will also be in the show notes. So feel free to click on that. And um, yeah, what else do I got? Oh, don't forget, I got to remind everybody. I know it's really it's terrible, but I got to do this. Otherwise, Evan is going to yell at me. Hit the like button. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of, um, of upcoming podcast releases. And again, you can share if you think that somebody else could benefit from this. Again, I want to thank Kelly for coming on the show, keeping it real, dropping some truth bombs. And, you know, kind of opening up the eyes to both sides that, um, you know, sometimes real estate can be scary. It's not always sexy. So um, there is a sexy component, but there is a truth component to it as well. There's always a risk. And thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on, being so transparent. You did say that this was the first time you came out publicly with this story. And so um, uh, kudos to you for being transparent <laughs> and vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. It's not thank easy. Thank you, because, Danielle. I mean, that's. 
I've taken a loss too. Yeah, and no one wants to. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no one, no one likes to talk about those uh, less than rosy moments, you know. Um, but the reality is, sometimes they do happen. And the key is, you know, being as prepared as you can, being as flexible as you can, and finding a way to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and you know, rise again, move on. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Always awesome to chat with you, Danielle. Happy to have you back. All right, everyone. This is Danielle Chason signing off for the Let's Get Real Estate podcast, where we showcase real people doing real estate. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you're looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.